0: world schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Hello, people. Welcome to the show.
1: My name is Ronan Robertson. This is the Honey and Homeschooling the Kids podcast. Robin Robertson is a host. She is also my mother. And yeah, in this episode, my mom is interviewing Stacy Piercy. What do you have to say about Stacey Piercy in this podcast, mama?
0: Well, I love this episode. I know Stacy. I've had the pleasure of meeting her in person before. Actually, I attended one of her workshops at Inspired Homeschooling Conference in Calgary, and it was really powerful. She is an entrepreneur, and what I love about Stacy is the link that she brings between unschooling and entrepreneurship. So we talked about self-directed learning and entrepreneurship and the power of trust in our homeschooling and unschooling process and the importance of that. We also talked about self-motivation and that funny little thing called reading. And when you have a late reader, and I love the story that she gave of her own personal experience with her own son as well, because I know that is a question that I do receive fairly often. So this is a fantastic interview. If you would like to learn more about Stacy, you can visit her at kids2market dot com. K I kidstomarket.com, K-I-D-S, the number two, market.com to find out more about how she shares her approach with other children through entrepreneurship, how she helps children start their own businesses, and bringing that bit of entrepreneurial mindset into their own learning journey. And Stacy is an unschooling mother herself. Her and her husband, Scott, have homeschooled and unschooled their three boys for 12 years now. And when she started looking into that journey, her husband actually bought her a book to start. And the book was College Without High School by Blake Bowles, who was a former guest on this podcast. And it was through a lot of research and many books later that she finally found her groove and she teetered between schooling and her own experience as an entrepreneur. And she discovered that entrepreneurship and unschooling are very similar. The key to any business, she says, isn't just the what or the how, but the why. Why? And that why, that question is integrated into every experience. So I would love to hear your feedback uh, and what you took away from this episode. And now, Ronan, I'm going to hand it over to you. If you
1: enjoy the show and would like to support us, you can do so through Patreon. Just go to the link
0: below the show notes. Enjoy okay. the episode. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and we have something else to say, Mom. No, okay. we totally forgot. <laughs> if you... No, you should go and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Honey Home Homeschooling the Kids.
0: Russell, enjoy the episode. Okay, so today I am chatting with Stacy Piercy. Stacy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Stacy has been an entrepreneur for over fifteen years and a homeschool parent to three boys for over a decade. She's also the creator of Kids to Market, a program that teaches kids from ages six to seventeen how to start a business with an idea they are passionate about. All right, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm excited. So I. So, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, where do you live? Three boys, how old they are? A little bit of background.
1: Sure. Um, I uh, I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I've got three boys. 16, 14, and 12. And I have been homeschooling them, I guess unschooling them since my oldest one finished kindergarten. And he didn't like that at all. So I kind of knew that I wanted to homeschool when I was younger, if I ever had kids. It was particularly my own experience in junior high. I left junior high and went, Oh yeah, those three years definitely need not to be in school. I didn't have a <laughs> particular I had a great experience in the school with the teachers, but I found that the whole Personal experience. There was a, a lot of bullying, and I found it didn't move at a pace that I could accommodate, and all those sorts of issues. I mean, high school was fine and elementary was fine. So, when uh, my youngest thought that a full day of school was the idea of pure torture, I presented the idea to my husband, who's also an entrepreneur, and he said, Yeah, no problem. Let, let's do it. So, it was sort of a jump in with, with both feet, starting with my oldest in grade one. And we kind of dove right into unschooling right away. My husband kind of found the concept. I had never heard of it. Well, that's not true. I actually had heard of it, but it was called child learning. So mm-hmm. I taught in a university in China after I finished my, uh, my first degree. So I had started in, with a diploma in communications and then I went on to university and I did a, a double degree in history and English and actually thought about becoming a teacher. When I had an opportunity um, to teach in a university in China through some mutual friends. And uh, while I was there, I met a self-directed or a child-led learner out of California. And I was fascinated by this nine-year-old boy who couldn't tell time on a face watch, like an analog watch, and he could barely read. He definitely couldn't write. His math skills weren't bad, but he built the most fascinating structures out of Chinese noodles and matchsticks and things that he found, everything from like bridges to buildings. And he picked up Chinese like in the snap of a finger. I could not believe like three different dialects of Chinese and yet he couldn't read English yet. And so his mom was there teaching in an elementary school. I was teaching in a university and uh, we were the only... Westerners there. There were some at a teacher's college outside the city, and we were in a small city for China. There's five million people. Mm-hmm. So, what, what was
0: the city, the name of the city, sorry?
1: I'm probably going to butcher it. It's Yuyang, and it's in Hunan province, about okay. two hours north of Changsha, right in the center of China. Changsha is where Mao was born. Mm-hmm. So we're right in the heart of communist China, <laughs> where I was teaching. It was a great experience. Teaching university was uh, really interesting, but this I was more fascinated with this nine-year-old boy. So when my husband suggested the idea, and uh, the first book I read was Blake Bowles' uh, College Without High School, because, of course, I was very concerned mm-hmm. about our kids not going to school and being able to get into university. And in the States, I think it's a little bit easier. In Canada, it tends to be a bit more structured here. Like, we don't have associate degrees or like junior colleges. We don't really have that here. I mean, you can find it if you look hard enough, but we tend to be a very formal university structured country, right?
0: Yeah, we are. Yeah.
1: So I <clears throat> I was a little bit concerned and, and it was uh, it was Blake's um, suggestion that if they kind of follow their own passion and it made me think of Matt in China, this nine-year-old, I was like, oh, I've heard of this before, this self-directed learning before. So I started kind of connecting the dots during this time, my husband and I are both entrepreneurs in IT. Um, I don't think my husband ever worked for a company as an employee past college. He went right into being an independent contractor and then starting his own company. And so when I met him, it was on an IT project. I was working for a really large consulting firm. And he said, yeah, you don't need to be an employee and you freak out about it, right? So the interesting thing about entrepreneurship is that transition you know, from going to this employee that's got a health plan and, you know, a benefits package and in a pension plan and this sort of false notion of security, like, you know, it's no problem, you have a job, they're going to look after you, to jumping off a cliff, to saying, it's okay, I'm I'm not going to contribute, you know, in Canada, we contribute to uh, social programs, uh, like a national pension program, right, and a health program, and you know, all these other kind of ideas that, you know, especially unemployment insurance, that would be another good one. You don't do that as as an entrepreneur, especially the structure that he uses for entrepreneurship. So when you leap off of that cliff to homeschool, especially self-directed learning and unschooling, it's exactly like becoming an entrepreneur for the first time. Mm -hmm. There's this level of trust, this idea that it's going to be okay, I'll be able to find work, And you go through these sort of peaks and valleys of feast and famine, you know, you're making lots of money, and then you make no money, and then you make lots of money, and then you make no money, and you have to sort of balance constantly that sort of idea. So when I started unschooling, it was the same thing as I wash, and it's easy with really young kids, because you learn very quickly that just experiencing the world, just being out in the world, and we travel and all those other kind of things that... They're learning the same things that they would be learning in school. They don't have to put up their hand to ask to go to the bathroom and they don't have to get up at 6.30 in the morning to get on a school bus or be driven for a specific time. And it's being an entrepreneur is exactly like that. I don't, I work from home. We work from homes, obviously. We don't have an office space that we rent out. We just do it all from home. It's the same idea. Uh, I schedule meetings based upon what my client needs. And when I need to learn something new, I have to learn that quickly because I have to make it look like I'm an expert right away (laughs) because I'm professing to be able to do something. And every time you take on a new client, you have to go through that steep learning curve of getting to know that other person and understanding what their needs and wants are. And an unschooled child goes through exactly the same thing. Like every time they have a new experience, they're interacting with new human beings like any age, younger to them to way older to them. And they have to be able to assess the situation, judge that experience, be able to roll with it, learn from it, adapt, and then move forward so that they can exist in that space. It is identical to being an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur. It's that same uncertainty, but the excitement of something new. And then if it doesn't work, you can walk away from it. And you can do that as an entrepreneur. Yeah, that client doesn't work for me, or I'm not interested in that project. So I don't. I don't pick it up. I don't engage. So they really matched
0: Great anal- analogy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A- and really so many of the skills that entrepreneurship nurtures and requires or helps to build, you see so much in self-directed learning. They oh, absolutely. Thinking, problem-solving. Um, And I love how you described, you know, the peaks and the valleys, and you go through periods of, you know, making lots of money and then not making anything at all, and just starting to slowly build and trickle and and then gaining momentum. And yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It starts to
1: overlap, right? Like you can see, and you can see that when you're schooling your kids, you can all of a sudden see this overlap. So when we first started doing this and I started really researching unschooling because specifically because I met Matt in China going, hmm, this is interesting. Look Mm -hmm. what he got to do. He got to live in China for a year and learn a language he wouldn't otherwise have had access to. And his mom is self-employed and single parent. And she was a fascinating woman. She even brought over a 16-year-old sort of acquired child because her mom passed away and so she was without a family and she was leaving for China and said well she can just come with me (laughs) she just like (laughs) scooped her up you know and she was part of their sort of unschooling community but when we first started looking at it you can you can see the parallels really quickly I don't know if every entrepreneur sees that I'm not too sure how many other actually homeschool but there are so many unschoolers that end up becoming entrepreneurs And I think that this is why, is because we immediately said, look, you got to figure it out for yourself. I have my 12 year old now complaining, going, he thinks I'm dropping the ball because I'm not (laughs) teaching him anything. He was like giving me a hard time. You know, I haven't done anything today. And I was like, well, that's on you. Just like an (laughs) entrepreneur who says, well, nobody's going to feed me work. You have to go look for it and find it. And they learn very quickly that. If they want to do something, they're going to have to self-advocate. And that became really clear with our oldest. Right. You know, and it's everything from going and buying something at a store to they were in a martial arts studio and he had a difficult situation with an instructor and we encouraged them to advocate for themselves. You have to go in and talk to the head of the studio and tell them what experience you've had. And so what we start with this idea of I'm right behind you or right beside you. I need you to talk for yourself, and you can look at me for support, and it's fine. But over time, and as they get older, and when they're ready, you can tell when they're ready, now I'm outside the room, and I'm there if they need help. And now I'm outside the building, or I'm only a text message away. And I don't find, my oldest is actually in public high school right now. He chose to be there because it had a program of choice we couldn't actually create at home. I think he's kind of regretting the decision now, but I tried really <laughs> hard not to you know, push the point because our belief was it's their choice. If their they want to be in right. school, if they want to do a private school, or if they wanted anything that they wanted to do, we laid it out in front of them and said, here are all your choices and options and how do you want to approach this? And they had a, a really unique um, athletic program. And it's only at this high school in all of Canada where they get to try Olympic sports every week. It's, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really neat program of choice. And he sucks up the other parts of high school right. that he to has to put what up with, to, right? Yeah. yeah, to be able to do what he wants to do. So it has a really neat, unique program. And he was very lucky to be able to have access to that because it's a pilot program. And the kids are trying to attract our high performance athletes. And it's not that he isn't that, but he's not at, you know, national level or Olympic level himself. Um, and they welcomed him in because it's anybody who loves sport and wants to learn that. And, you know, so that's, that, and he couldn't, he couldn't get that uh, in homeschool. You find other programs, you know, externally that they can do. He was in uh, cadets. And like I said, he was in a martial arts program, but he was really after all those team sports. And to do that independently is extremely expensive. And you just don't even logistically, you couldn't be in a competitive mm-hmm. volleyball yeah. team and a basketball team and a baseball team. There's just not enough time, especially the way that they run teams now, where it's like three to six days a week that you're participating so that's why he went I still think he regrets it my middle one just was accelerated a grade and he went and tried high school for a semester and he rocked it right like he's getting he's even a year too young to be there and he got 80s and 90s across the board so oh, if wow. anybody wonders if unschooled kids can actually make it can adapt yes. to school. yeah oh yeah. they adapt and they kind of can't figure it out to begin with but because of that self-advocacy and that entrepreneurial mindset that we were building that honestly, I think most self-directed learners get anyway. They don't have to have entrepreneurs as parents. I think you kind of build it on your own because I, you know, you trust as a parent to say, you're going to, you're going to figure this out and you might not do it at six. You might not even do it at 12, but we trust that there's a point where you're going to find that, you're going to stop swerving back and forth along the path, and it starts to become more directed and going in one direction. And he uh, he went into I don't know it was like a social studies class, and he had never seen a source analysis where they give you a piece of you know document that you've got to read, and then you have to write an essay. And he'd never written an essay in his life, and the first one he got. I think 70%. And by the time he wrote the second one, he got 98% and was in complaining to the teacher about the other 2% that he was missing. So <laughs> it, it didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't inhibit him. It took him a little while to kind of figure out and navigate the system a little bit. But, um, and then he got to the end of it and he said, that is ridiculous. The amount of time they spend on these topics, things that they took all semester to teach me and I could have learned them in a week.
0: Right, and it drove yeah.
1: him crazy to have to sit in a classroom and be fed curriculum that he thought was not necessary or places where they could have gone in, you know, in more depth because he was interested in the topic and they just scream past, you know, and just kind of move on. And it frustrated him so desperately. He He hit Christmas and went, yeah, I'm out. This is just, I could do this in a fraction of the time that they're doing it. And I'm not even sure I want to do it. I'm not sure that I want to you know, get those that high school diploma or do those courses because in Canada, you have those five grade 12 courses that you need to be able to apply Mm -hmm. to universities and some faculties to get in. He said, you know, maybe I'll choose to go to an American university or somewhere else in the world or not even go at all because I'm not sure that that's what I want to do. And he's incredibly talented, especially academically. And yet he doesn't want to. You know, yeah. so he,
0: he knows what he's, he realizes that it's just a lot of time filler and that you could spend that time focusing, getting really good at things that you love and focus on that exactly. and learning more and going in depth. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he and has a weird fluff. Exactly. He has a really weird objective. He's only 14. I don't know if it's weird. That's actually a word. We make fun of him for it. Just because that's the type of family we are, we parent with sarcasm on a regular basis. <laughs> but he—he's uh, a competitive climber, which he just okay. started last year. So that's your classic self-directed kid that kind of hits the sort yep. of teen years, which is what happened to Matt. So I'll tell you that story in a minute. But he—he um, he decided he wanted to be a climber, and he went in and tried out for a competitive climbing team in the city and made it. And I, he had the sort of a natural athletic ability to begin with, but he wants to convert a van and live at the bottom of yosemite like a dirtbag climb <laughs> yeah like
0: a climber yeah right. that's the and ultimate climbing dream absolutely isn't it
1: isn't it and so yeah, we just said is. let's let's facilitate that and interestingly the the mechanics teacher that he had in high school thinks that's an absolutely brilliant dream because he fast tracked his education degree to be able to teach so he's in that you know those classes that they don't give any credit or value to but are far yeah. more useful <laughs> when it comes to life skills <laughs> and you know he got along with this teacher really well and he told he told him about this idea of converting an old van and he said now that now that's an education so what's so interesting about that is you've got this public school teacher that is just as frustrated with the system or seeing a, a pointlessness to the trajectory and the you know drinking the Kool-Aid of what it looks like to get a high school education when he says, no, I think I'm going to quit school and do this instead, he tells all of his teachers that. And even the social studies teacher said, now that sounds like a good way to spend your high school years. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing, right? And it he's is. still- the irony of it too is- It's yeah. bizarre. It, you know, it's absolutely yeah. bizarre. So Matt in China, I caught up with his mom a couple of years ago. I don't know if it was just a, hey, look, I'm unschooling my kids too. I don't know why I reached out to her, but I wanted to see what happened to Matt. So Matt, about the same age, self-directed learners seem to hit, and I've noticed this in my own community, somewhere between 12 and 14 and they start looking for structure and they start looking for mentorship. They want something else. They want to learn something different or they have a goal that they want and now I'm not good enough because I don't have the skills that they're looking for, like converting a van. I wouldn't have the foggiest idea how to do that. So I'm trying to find him mentors and support so that he can do that. But Matt did the same thing, I guess. And because they have community colleges in California, he said, I want to take an AutoCAD class. She tells me, Deborah was telling me. So he went and took an evening class at 13 years old, an evening college class in computer aided design. Wow! And he rocked, right? And he rocked (laughs) it. And I said, well, where is Matt now? She said, actually, he just graduated last year with an honors in architecture. No and then you think back to nine years old in China, and he's building all these really interesting structures out of noodles and matchsticks, and it makes complete and sense. Reading. And yeah. he wasn't reading. And
0: he wasn't reading. Yeah. And
1: so they just, I said, "Is that's amazing. She said, it's not really, and had the same experience. She said to her whole community, because she was in a child directed, as she called it, her childlike community, somewhere between, you know, somewhere around 13 years old. They all start looking for direction or structure and they they reach out and and they're ready. They're ready to go out in the world instead of having to jump through another five years of school before they're given permission to learn, you know, computer-aided design. Matt was able to, through that community, to go and do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, she just confirmed my assumptions.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because I've heard many parallels and I'm starting to see it in my kids as well. But I also think going back, it's very interesting how the place that you met, Matt, was in China where you were teaching, where China is um, usually known for not being (laughs) self-directed, especially in the studies and education. It has quite a different structure. I used Mm -hmm. to live in China as well, so I'm pretty familiar with with how it works in that way. And I remember speaking with, uh, I think she was a master's student and she was from the States and, and hers, that was a difficulty was the regurgitation and right. not the creative ideas or bringing forth your ideas. They were downplayed. They weren't encouraged. Yeah. So, not only that, but you're
1: not even told what you want to, you're told what you have to take in university. So most of the kids I were teaching yeah. kids, adults, because I'm teaching in university and they're all, um, English as a second language students, right? So they're finishing their degree in English. Yep. So I'm teaching oral and conversational English to fourth year university students. And when you ask the question of why did you choose to do this, you're told, well, I mean, and this is like 25 years ago, uh, you're told that uh, this is where you're going to go because this is decided at six, seven or eight years old, right? They start streaming them based yes. upon their aptitude where their skill sets are. If you wanted to be an engineer, but you had poor math skills in early elementary, there's no way you're becoming an engineer. And your residency permit is attached to your skill set. So if you're, there was a lot of oil refineries in the city that I was in. So there was lots of engineers there. And they live in complexes around their job. So those that were teaching in the university, the other teachers lived in the same building that I did, with their families, because that's attached to the residency permit. And at the time, I'm not sure if that's just the same now, but the one child rule that they had mm-hmm. a number of years ago, I think it's two now, that was attached to that residency permit. So if you broke that rule, they take your residency permit out and then you become completely homeless because you can't live anywhere without that residency permit and the resi- right. residency permits attached to the company or I guess it's not a company to whatever government organization you're working for based upon that aptitude and where you were streamed through your education system. So there's, there's very little choice in China. So that I was, I was yelled at a lot (laughs) (laughs) because of the way that I chose to challenge the, the English education they had received, they would transition through language points with things that came out of a 1930s um, UK textbook where they would transition their language, you know, when they want to move from one thought to another, they would put this little sentence in the center of everything is that is to say. That is just, their segues, their <laughs> digressions were always that is to say. I kept going, stop saying that. You know, it's in these kids are all looking to move into North America. This is why they're supposed to be, you know, they'll be diplomats or translators or, you know, and they're gonna be moving to different places in the world. And I said, you know, we don't speak like that anymore. I had a spy in my class that stood up and yelled at me and told me the way that I taught was terrible. (laughs) Teach from a textbook, a lot more self-directed. Let's go to movies. Let's have conversations. Let's go sit at a restaurant and let's talk about the food so that I could get them talking in proper English. And they really struggled. With yeah. this sort of out of the box idea of learning, yeah, I was
0: going to say that's that's pushing the uh, yeah, oh yeah. That's, that's pushing the the walls of the box extreme. Yeah, that's yeah,
1: it. I know. Yes, I was even had my pay withheld for oh, one wow. month because they didn't like the way that I was teaching. By the time I left um, and I was finished, they were changing their fourth year oral English program to match what I do. Oh wow! So they were trying mm-hmm. to get an international teacher in every year. To follow and mimic that structure, and so I helped them write a new curriculum. Which I said, you really don't need a curriculum <laughs> for this, but if that's what you want to do. And uh, I, I talked at length with the the unschool family about this notion, and she felt I was treading on thin ice. <laughs> <all that laughs> like this is you're not here to change this country and the way that they teach people, but you know they applauded me for it and felt that their program was going to be. Um, unique and sought after as a result of their, they called it Western English Conversation. I can't remember. They changed right, the yeah. name of the course. Yeah. It was, it was an interesting experience, but it, I fought and pushed against the status quo on a regular basis and I got my hands slapped for it. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. As that happens, absolutely. As that yes. happens. Well, at the start, you, you, you get set the spark. So, yeah. I think that's excellent. Yeah. So, you, you know, that also, you know, that also brings, back around as well, because I think that's something that you, you know, you talked about, you mentioned already, and, you know, trusting your child, self-directed learning, but also from what I hear from that story, too, a big part of self-directed learning, I think, as well as trusting yourself as a parent. Yeah. And sometimes I, I, many times I hear from parents where, you know, they want to trust, they say, yes, I trust my child, I see the curiosity, I see the excitement, but, And so many times it's yourself, it's, but I don't know, you know, where do I go from here? What if I don't provide the right thing? Shouldn't I be teaching them at this point? Don't they need to learn how to read by the time they're seven? Or are they going to be behind everybody if I don't teach them math like this by the time that they're six or eight? Where does that, you know, where did you find that trust in yourself and therefore trust in your kids?
1: Well, It is like that peak and valley thing as an entrepreneur. There are times in your trust cycle where you think, oh my gosh, they're going to be playing video games with a graphic tee and a neck beard at 40 in my basement. (laughs) Like you start having heart attacks about it. I must
0: say, I just heard a report that the average gamer profile of the average gamer in Canada is 39 years old male. Yeah. or female.
1: So <laughs> well <you do. laughs> exactly well and it's I think that it comes from the experience of the parents that trust and that's always a challenge and it is a constant conversation even within a family dynamic like my husband and I will have both yeah that's totally working or we'll be at odds where I think that you know you need to just give them a little bit more time and he's not so sure anymore or I'm pushing buttons and he says, why aren't you just leaving them be? So there's this sort of ebb and flow. The mm-hmm. gaming thing to address it specifically is they are lucky and their dad is an avid gamer. It's most <laughs> software engineers will be. You will find that if they're into IT they tend to also be gamers, right? That's how he got into computers, was actually yeah. trying to hard program a VIC-20. <laughs> so, right. right. So that was, you know, his experience came from that. Um, but he was also a heavy Dungeons and Dragons player and a heavy chess player. So that I think the appeal tends to come more from the idea of games, more than just video gaming. But mm-hmm. the trust, you know, the trust will change dependent upon the the order of the children. So you'll find that parents have more trust if their first child was easy to unschool and less trust if their first child was difficult to unschool. And, and and I don't know how to define that because he was an easy child to, you know, strew with, right? I could throw things in front of him and he would pick up anything and be interested. Um, and if he wasn't interested, he wouldn't be oppositional. He would just daydream and ignore me, right? Like he mm-hmm. just it sort of drifted away. The middle one is gifted. So he would find his own things. Like I could barely keep up to him in the things that he was interested in because his learning curve was so fast. Right. So he's, I have no issues with him quitting high school because I know that he's very, very self-directed and motivated. And if you look at him as an example, if another family were to look at him and go, wow, that's, that works so beautifully. But my last one is, Didn't read until he was 11. The other two were late to read as well, but not that late. Um, Has ADHD. And when I did the same methods of learning, quote unquote, where, hey, would you guys like to, you know, try this or should we go here? I found an interesting program. Do you want to try it out? And he would not want to do that. He would become very angry and oppositional about it. So the way that you unschool, I think ebbs and flows dependent upon the child.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you're not
1: rooted heavily in the philosophy, that level of trust out the gate, you'll find that you waffle. You will start going, oh, I, I can't meet his needs. He's not reading yet. Maybe it's my fault. I mean, reading such a big thing. In 12 years of homeschooling, and I've coached tons of homeschoolers, that's the That's the, that's the one that really catches, yeah, that's the one that catches everybody. Most people will let go of the math, but um, the reading really is sticky. And I can't say that I'm any different. Like you start to panic by the time they're 10, you're like, hmm, is there something inhibiting that? So I actually had him, um, I did an ed psych assessment, think that maybe there was a learning disability that was inhibiting that, which is fine. I just need to know what I'm working with. If I understood that he's dyslexic or he has apraxia or, you know, whatever other issue, dysgraphia, then at least I know how to help him um, because he wanted to learn. They all want to learn. This is what I hear from tons of parents is that they hit eight or nine and they're comparing themselves to their peers and they're not reading yet. They get very upset and frustrated. So that's the community that they're in. They think there's something wrong with them and no amount of encouragement from an unschooled parent is going to assage those fears for them. So you try to help. Sure, okay, let's sit down and try it. Let's try this method. Let's try this method. And they're still not learning because it's developmental and you know it. You know the reason why they're not learning to read yet because they will teach themselves to read. Is this something in their brain isn't ready to take that in yet? That decoding that needs to occur. So I had him tested and he's like university level visual spatial skills. But she said he definitely has a learning disability. And this is where I... I I tell this story to other parents that are going through this where they think that the ed psych assessment is going to help them. And it will. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gave me permission with ADHD to back off and approach things differently because they learn differently. They have to learn through movement and all that kind of stuff. She said, he definitely has a learning disability. I said, okay, well, tell me which one so that I can help him. And I said, is it one of these? And she said, no, he just can't read yet. And I didn't test it between nine and 10. He was almost 10. And he should be able to read by 10. And I understand mentally, brain development-wise, then that's not a learning disability. That's a developmental difference, right? Right. So I kept challenging her and asking her. And when she came back and said, well, this is the way we do the assessment. If he can't read yet, we call that a learning disability. I said, but he doesn't have a learning disability that's inhibiting him? And she said, no. And she's Mm -hmm. one of the best in the city. So I picked a really, really good PhD in psychology. I sought her out. To, because she advises all the public schools including right. the specialty programs that are okay. in the city. She's a so lovely the model.
0: model yeah. she's basing it on is reading. Yeah. Is the, the
1: reading, right. And so that even, that helped me unschool even more to be honest. So when I stepped fr- back from that and I told uh, Scott uh, about the experience that we had and what she had to say and he goes, well that's not a learning disability, he just hasn't learned to read yet. I said, I know, so what do you do with that information? And When I explained it to my son, because he was frustrated and upset that he wasn't learning yet. I was going to
0: ask, how was your son feeling? Was he wanting to read? He was, but he said, the only
1: reason why I'm wanting to read is because I got the impression from you that it was important by this age. We had this wonderful heart-to-heart, and and some of it was very disheartening because we were addressing the ADHD at the same time. And he laid down on the floor and said, Mom, I'm just so tired of being wrong. And that's Mm -hmm. when the switch, like it just flips in your brain. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the way this is playing out. I said, what if you don't learn to read until you're 15? He goes, is that okay? Well, I think it's okay. Do you think it's okay? He goes, I don't care. So as soon as you peel off these assumptions or societal norms or these expectations, and when I explained what the psychologist said, he goes, Well, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, I said you don't. We know now you don't have a learning. There's nothing inhibiting you here. There's no learning disability. This is just. It's not. You're just. Your brain's not ready to take it in, but it will. I'm confident in it. And he said, "Well, I." I, He basically was looking for permission from me, and I don't Mm -hmm. think I had been communicating effectively, even as an unschooler, that it was okay at ten not to be reading yet, because you give off that distrust. So, right. when we talk about that parental trust you you really have to dive deep inside and know unequivocally that they'll get there when they're ready. He started watching Japanese anime because his oldest brother was really into it, and it's all subtitled and within thirty days, he taught himself to read, not but a <laughs> month later. you know, so it's it's those hearing those stories from other parents that have been unschooling to hear that. Sometimes that trust is a huge leap of faith, just like deciding not to be employed and have that job security. It's the same security. It's that same level of saying, no, you can do it. They can do it. You can trust and they will figure it out. And you just need to step back and let them be their own person. And it will unfold in the way that it needs to for them. But you you have to almost insulate them from societal pressures. To give them a, a voice, right? Like they have to have a story. So when people ask and say, I'm not reading yet, he had this sort of list of things that he could do better than most kids at his age. So that was helpful. So I find right. that if you can build their trust in themselves, then even your own trust gets better.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Build their trust in themselves so your own trust gets better. The reflection. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah, that story is really powerful, actually, because that is a common one that I get from many parents as well, is, you know, my child is, you know, they are not reading, and I had them tested, and they're saying that they need to be reading by now, and there's problems because they're not. What should I do? And, you know, basically, am I wrong? What am I doing wrong? How can I help them? Uh, Reading is a big one, absolutely, because I think the structure of our society as well is when you go to school— you have to read because when a teacher has a classroom of 30 kids, absolutely, she wants the students to be able to start being independent. So she doesn't have to explain every single direction every single time. She wants to move through things a lot quick, quicker than she had been when in the earlier years in kindergarten and grade one. So it's OK, everyone, read your instructions. And then we're going to do this first question.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, I did a, a year of education because like I said, I was thinking about being a teacher You're and then teacher, I went away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I went away to China to give it a try. It's actually after China, I went, oh no, <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> and then that's when I went into IT. I came back and went in a different direction. But that first year of, of education before you start your practicum, it's part of the pedagogy and it's being taught. And I think this is part of the struggle that a lot of teachers that have perhaps our perspective to learning. I mean, you had Alicia Brignall on, and she's struggling mm-hmm. desperately with this sort of doctrine. And yes. it's from K to three, you re- you learn to read. And from four onward, you read to learn. And if you're not reading by the end of grade three, because that's the way the curriculum is developed in most school systems, you you can't. You can't function from grade four onward in a classroom environment without reading quite fluently right you have to be and they could talk about that great you know that reading level so you know i have a he was 11 actually by the time he began reading i have this 11 year old so he's in grade six technically and he isn't reading by the beginning of grade six how could he possibly consume all that information because they're they're not accommodating i mean there's some classes that will do that but you create them as others all of a sudden in that in that highly competitive peer environment, they are other. You know, yeah. if he was in a grade six class and he wasn't reading yet, maybe the school system accommodates it. I know there are some here that do that say, okay, well, it's, they can use Google Read, Write, for example, and all the instructions can be read to them. Those accommodations are even afforded to high school students here.
0: Yeah, they are.
1: Yeah. Right. So they can say, I need a, a reader and I need a scribe. Like they make every attempt to help them be successful. I don't think that the system overall is pointing their finger and saying, because you didn't learn to read properly by the time you were at the end of grade three, we're just going to fail you because they can't, right? The system, a public system won't allow them to fail.
0: Yeah. Not here anyways. Yeah. yeah, Not
1: here. And and even at the high school level, they can definitely fail. But during exam breaks, I know that my oldest one was telling me that they have this credit recovery So they'll sit down with you one-to-one to, to you know, figure out anything that you're missing so you can actually pass that class. So if you're struggling for other reasons, so, you know, I applaud them for every effort that they're making and they're kind, wonderful, understanding people. But you still, in the early years, they don't have the same level of accommodation that they do even at the high school level. They sit them off on the side of the class and they make them other And we were in a blended homeschool program. So they go one time a week and they can take academic classes that they want to. And my youngest one stopped doing it at grade three because even these fully supportive, you know, they're they're certified teachers and they're teaching as part of the public system. So we're homeschooling within the guise of the public system. But he's a traditionally trained teacher. And he'd say, yeah, that's no problem in supporting him. But I'm going to sit him out on a chair in a hallway with an iPad. So wow. yeah. he segregated like instantly. And that was very humiliating for him. So he yes. came out yeah. one day and went, oh no, <laughs> I'm, not st- <laughs> I'm not staying here because I feel foolish. I, I feel like I'm not smart enough to be here. And there's yeah. no amount of coaching that you can do to make them feel better. You know, there's just... So in that environment, he was he was shown that he isn't good enough.
0: He isn't good enough, and I think that's a huge concern too. Is that as much as there's accommodations and support for anyone who's maybe having maybe struggling with reading to a certain grade level, even in high school, or what happens is is there is a support, but you're still feeling like you're not good enough. Yeah, that you're not you're not measuring up. There's you know there's a lot of accommodations and support, but then it's like because you aren't up to the level of everyone. Basically that is like, well, you're not good enough. So, and it's, it kills, you know, I have a friend whose son who's, they've been in school and he's struggling with reading. He's a high school student now, but he like, when they have their parent meetings, you know, one year he cried all through the meeting. And it's like, you know, your heart is just like, you know, it's, and they're trying and she's like, she's tried so many things. And ironically, the things that have worked the best have been the ones that the, The school has said, no, don't do because that won't ever work. And she's just ignored them and done it. And then it's worked. But, you know, how do you start the year when your first meeting, your child is in tears in the entire meeting with the school, right? Because they just don't feel good enough. Yeah. They're just not measuring up.
1: And yet they're not celebrated for the things that they're exceptional at.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: I think that's probably what what was our, because my husband and I had uh, similar experiences in school. I, you know, my understanding I hear from people is that there's no way that you can have an ADHD child without one of the parents also having ADHD. And, you know, we look at the symptoms of ADHD and we both go, yeah, we both probably have it because, (laughs) you know, I was, I was a a bright student, but like I was a bright child, but a mediocre student. Like I was the barely passing, you know, all the way through, Mm -hmm. but I was constantly told I was smart. And if I would just stop talking, (laughs) I could do a better job. You know, so there was this, this idea and I was raised in a, you know, a typical 1970s, you know, early 80s family where the teachers were the experts and school was your responsibility and I didn't have involved parents. They were involved in lots of extracurricular things, for sure. They were great parents in that way, but school was you know, my mom quit high school in grade 11, and my dad, you know, only went to technical college, so I'm the only one in my family, actually, that has a university degree, Mm -hmm. and that was important to me. I don't know why, to be honest, but it it was, especially since I wasn't that good of a student, but it was, you know, this, this idea of that that's your responsibility, but you're still, that you were still made to feel, both Scott and I were still made to feel like you would get I don't know, seventy percent in a test, and both our parents were like, "Where's the other thirty <laughs> percent?" You know, right. so you're you're raised to think that there's it's
0: that based these, on that grading, those that are, grading. That's right. But there's that's so many other things that you can do, or so many other components to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're just you're measured. Your worth is measured by those those grades. So when we when we had our kids, we already came in with the notion of school is is not a marker of success. Because if it Mm -hmm. was, neither one of us would have been considered successful. So we started evaluating being entrepreneurs ourselves of what is a successful child. How do you define that?
0: So what what is is a successful child?
1: (laughs) We 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 wrote for you for you because I know
0: everyone will be different, but
1: everybody has a different version. But interestingly, in uh, in all of my reading and researches, I started looking for that, and I reached out to other unschoolers to say, "How do you define this?" So I. I did a lot of research in the beginning to ask, but well, how would you define this? Is it because they make a lot of money? You know, they get awards, they, they get a university degree. Like, how are
0: you, what is that marker? Days. What are the, yeah.
1: yeah, what is it? What is that marker? And for us as a family, because we based it on that entrepreneurial mindset, I think, because I just think it's ingrained, is that you are independent and self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So those were our two words that we we hung on to is that you, you can't be independent and self-sufficient if you can't read. So obviously that's a goal. Like you wouldn't want them not to be able to read, but then you have that academic side or the learning side where you understand enough about how children learn that you know that they'll get there eventually. But is it really important for them to know trigonometry or algebra or the War of 1812? So what is it that you would teach them from an unschooling standpoint like what do you put in front of them to ensure certain skills are developed regardless of what academic subjects they've chosen to dive into as an unschooler and those were the two top ones is that independence can they look after themselves well that certainly has money attached to it and uh you know self-sufficient yeah that obviously has money attached to it so we can see that how are they going to be able to support themselves if they don't have these usable skills and then we began to break it down from there and that's where we came up with well you have to have a certain level of perseverance to be an entrepreneur you definitely have to be resilient you have to learn the difference between I have failed and I'm a failure which is right. a very very different mindset yeah. right which I think they call-
0: your confidence as well yeah like- yeah.
1: That's right. And that's where that whole new buzzword of the growth mindset, you know, comes to. Right. Um, we've attached, uh, a long time ago, we attached the why. So when you become an entrepreneur, it's not just the what are you going to sell or produce and how you're going to do it, but why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing it for the people? Why is it important? Why is it important to you? So that we work that into every, every it's a question we ask them and say, well, you know, I want to, I want to learn how to climb. Why? Why are you right. doing this? Like, what, what's your end goal? What's the end game here? What are you after? And if it's just, I want to have fun or I just want to have pure joy, but then, which is great, and we go, fantastic. But you get to the root of of the mental process behind the choices that we make if all of a sudden the why is misplaced. Right. Well, I think it's because I'd like to go to the Olympics. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's evaluate that because that will build into that sort of self-confidence self-regulation, self-direction, you know, if that's your goal, then what are you going to have to do to get there? What are, what are all those SMART goals, right? Is it specific? Is it measurable? Is it attainable? Is it reasonable? Is it time bound? So we start applying that entrepreneurial concept when we build any business idea or we approach any client, we use those same concepts and we have rooted that in our unschooling from the beginning. I'm going to give you all the freedom in the world but you're going to have to justify your choices. Mm. You have to stand in front of me with a business plan. <laughs> I don't want right. to hear the the how the what and definitely the why. Why are you doing this? Because then we can support them better. Well all right then let's make that happen. That sounds right. like a great plan.
0: And then you can better understand as well they better understand the personal their own personal connection to it to what they're yeah. doing and therefore to their learning as well and 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 that motivation is there when that's it clear. Is. It gives you permission to quit. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: an important aspect to say, I tried it and I wasn't successful. So when you do that in a business, when you're planning a business, that's called a pivot. So you went down this path thinking, you know, you were going to sell a, a what's it. And it sounded like a really great idea and you did all your evaluation. And then somewhere along the path, you realize that, you know, through testing, it wasn't going to work or it's not going to have the outcome you're looking for, but there's this sort of side idea that's developed and you don't throw the whole business out. You pivot your business to go in a direction that will be more profitable and more lucrative for you. And we apply the same logic when we ask them, what's your plan? What's your idea? How are you going to do that? They get halfway, three quarters away or five minutes into something and go, oh yeah, that's not going to work for me. Well, mm-hmm. great. What have you learned? And what direction are you going to head now? You can throw the whole thing out and start from scratch, which is that that whole um engineering process right that the idea of you you come in with an idea and you test and you rework and then you test and you rework and there's a point where you just go Pff. but everything that you learned up until that point is going to add value to the next venture you pursue
0: right and
1: you recognize yeah. it right that's not the i'm a failure i failed and we high five failure in this house so someone comes up to us and says, I failed doing this, you know, they get the, woohoo, good for you, because <laughs> failure is a sign of trying. And if yeah, you don't try. Huge
0: learning experience. Right, exactly.
1: So that's how we we homeschool in the same way that we run our own businesses. And we found that that's worked really well for us and for them, because when they lay on the floor and say, I'm tired of being wrong, then I have f- failed. But mm-hmm. I learned so much from that, that our approach going forward was a definite pivot and we're both happier for it. He's absolutely happier than he was a couple of years ago. That's for sure.
0: So do you think that the traditional school system can nurture any of these qualities in kids? I
1: I think they can. I think that, um, it's not, it's not the school system. I think, yes, I think the school system needs to change, but that's a whole nother topic. But, um, it's more in how, as parents, we attach value to that experience. I think that's more important. Mm. I mean, I have one in public school, and he struggles with teachers' expectations or a curriculum that doesn't make sense, and we approach it a different way than we do with our unschooled kids, right? So he has a teacher that her objective is to get him ready for that diploma exam in a year. So all of their assignments are geared towards passing that test because that's how they're measured from success from a teacher's standpoint. So when he can understand where she's coming from and then realize that it doesn't make her a terrible teacher, it makes the system a terrible system. And we've always, always have told him, take a look at the individual in front of you and figure out what you can get out of them because you have access to a free teacher that's got some skills.
0: Right. So there's something you can learn from it. There's something that you can learn. I wouldn't want to do this myself or there's a different way that we could approach it. And that's what I've learned from this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And when you communicate, so always go to parent teacher interviews. That's what I would say. And communicate that perspective to the teacher and say, we don't have a huge, a huge value at this stage. Grade 12 is different, but for grade 10 and 11, we don't attach a lot of value to the grade, we attach value to the learning experience. So what can he get out of you? What can he learn from you? How can he get a little bit better or approach that goal in a different way that there's something that he benefits as opposed to just riding the time out in the classroom, you know, jumping through the hoops, making sure the rubric is covered so that he can get what he needs. What can he actually get from you? Like, what's your mad skills? And the expression on their face, nine times out of 10, actually, is this is a sigh of relief. Right, yeah. You know, this sort of the, oh, I understand. And wow, I wish my parents were like (laughs) you. You know, and it's, uh, you know, I get a lot of, he's very lucky to have you as parents because we have so many parents that are just focused on that final grade. Yeah. And I said, no, I don't even pay attention to the grades. I want to know if he's actually learning anything. What a waste of time for him if he wasn't. Right. So yeah. how can we accomplish that together? So that would be my advice for parents that choose to put their kids in school is to connect on a personal level with their teachers and make them feel more at ease about what those expectations are coming out. The grade doesn't matter. It's what can they get out of this experience that helps them grow Right, right. there has to be a
0: purpose. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I, I know this is just, that's our big, this comes with that why. What's the point? Why are they in here? What's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the outcome? And if we can mutually agree upon what that is together with the child to say, I would really like to get this out of this classroom. Yes, we'd like them not to fail. But, you know, we know that you have objectives to adhere to, but we're not attached to your outcomes. We're attached to the outcomes for our child. And let's be clear on what those outcomes are for this year and work with the teacher. Most of them would be so open to that notion. You know, I mean, I've had a few teachers go, okay, this mark's not going to look great because I have to fulfill this rubric, but let me tell you how your child has grown this year. And -hmm. it's a great conversation at the end of the year, you know, so that would be my advice to work with the teacher.
0: And, and I think so much of what I hear so many times from teachers as well too is that the whole personal responsibility for kids having personal responsibility as well it takes a pressure when when they realize that their student has that personal responsibility and motivation in some mm-hmm. ways takes pressure off of them
1: yeah for and sure. it
0: helps them to be more encouraging and supportive of that child and student too yeah. And I think that's across the board, even for parents as well. It, it and it's it's um I'm, the word coming to my mind is invigorating to see that <laughs> in people. But I know there's another word, but that's just the word that comes to my mind right now. But I uh, like that word, I think as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually, I think this is also a good um, segue, or way to move into. More of what you you do and how, you know, when I was first introduced to you or met you face to face, I had attended a workshop that you put on, which I loved, and it was for a program that you had created, and now you have expanded it even more. Uh, Bringing kids, all these skills that we're talking about, you know, self-motivation, having that personal connection to learning, um, learning from your mistakes, and learning how to fail, and and use that to learn. Critical thinking, your problem solving, uh, confidence and perseverance, those are huge qualities for entrepreneurship, but also for just being an adult or being a citizen of the world as well. And a lot of it in entrepreneurship, um, it helps nurture those qualities as well. So what is kids to market is the program that you have created because you're taking what you have introduced with your family and your kids and you're bringing it to others and to other kids and families. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, In the, about four years ago in the homeschool program that I was in, we had this co-op where parents could come in and teach alongside the certified teachers, a class of their choice. And I'd done every imaginable class, analog coding, dance, phys ed, puppetry. (laughs) There was like tons that I taught. And uh, I had been coaching a whole bunch of homeschoolers on how to homeschool up until that point. And when I was pressed again to come and teach, um, I was trying to marry some of the advice that I was giving others and it, it, it wasn't something I specifically sought out to do, but I had actually attended a children's business fair at an all-boys private school the previous spring and I thought it was a brilliant idea. I couldn't believe what these kids had created. It was fantastic. And so I, asked, I approached the school board and said, I would like to teach kids how to start their own business, and then we can end it with this children's business fair. And they said, yeah, but you don't have junior high kids in your class. It's grades one to five. I'm like, yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was going to be a problem. It could be a hot mess for all I know, because it definitely was an experiment on my part. But that's that's kind of where it started. So I didn't even have a curriculum or a plan. I was just going to apply my own knowledge of starting a business, because I had started many, to these you know, six year olds to 10 year olds. So I jumped into the class and they said we don't know, we don't know what kind of what kind of business idea. And I had taught other people how to become entrepreneurs. I've been teaching for years in the adult world, including productivity and time management and as well as where do you pull out that idea? How do you know it's a good business idea? I get asked that a lot. And I've taught several classes on how do you know it's a good business idea. So I just I just wung it. I just kind of went in and it, I thought these kids were not going to get this at all. So I went through the cycle of teaching them how to come up with a business idea and they rocked it. I couldn't believe it. They just flew at me with business ideas based upon their own interests and passions and what they were going to do. And I thought, okay, this isn't, you know, this, this won't gain any weight. You know, we'll walk away from the first class. The next class, I just said, well, why don't you bring me a prototype and I'll show you guys how to do a pitch you bring me your business prototype idea. And then, you know, we'll, I'll I'll show you how to do constructive feedback, how to receive feedback, because that's such an important part Mm -hmm. about being an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. exactly.
1: And how do you take people slamming your product in what I would have to teach them how to do it constructively so they weren't being mean Mm -hmm. in any way. And I wasn't even sure that it was going to work because you build resilience from that experience, right? There's just no way you can take feedback on something you put your heart and soul into and learn to make adjustments and improve that product based upon those suggestions without being just a little bit more resilient by the end of it. And I started writing down the skills that they were acquiring in each class. The next class, they all came with a business. I I couldn't believe it. And not even the business that they maybe even suggested. So they had two weeks between, and they started sort of churning through what they thought they could do. Um, you know, one of my poster children for my program, his name's Rowan, and I have him on my podcast, and he was going to do bicycle-powered ice cream. And okay. uh, he I didn't even know this, because I thought, we'll just put on a business fair, and it's no big deal that you can't serve raw dairy without a commercial kitchen, oh, right? Okay. I, and I, I his parents that. already knew this, and he came back the next week, um, the next class with ketchup, which confused me. But it was a
0: Rowan story. Yeah. Can you? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was just I was. But he's six. He's six years old. These six and seven year olds, like the grade one twos, really caught on. I had some resistance from, especially the grade fives. I said you could do a lemonade stand, and they're responsible. Isn't that cheesy? Other people have (laughs) lemonade stands. That's a little lame. I'm like, why is it lame? I said, how many different types of lemonade do you see in the grocery store? where well, they all went, oh yeah, there's lots. And I said, how you differentiate yourself in the marketplace is you bring yourself into it. You make it unique from your own perspective. Maybe it's a unique recipe or whatever it is. And click, these kids just, they got it. And week after week, whether it was marketing or how to price their product or how to package it or how to present it, how to sell How do you sell to somebody, especially if you're shy? And so the whole program started to develop in my mind by the time I got to the end of that first year and we did the business fair and it was a raving success. And you saw that in the workshop, how how quickly that caught on. And they just begged me. They said, will you do the co-op next year and do this again? I had parents emailing me saying, please, please, please. Can you put on another business fair?
0: <laughs> I and, know, I was a parent later saying, please, please, please. Can yes, you come please come here?
1: and do this for us yes. because it's utterly transformative. <laughs> to watch the, a child that wouldn't even make eye contact with me and I'm looking at them at the business fair and they're standing a little bit taller and their chest is out and they have a huge smile across their face and they're talking to people, making eye contact with them, telling them why they love their product and why they're so passionate about why it brings value to their lives because they got the whole point, the why. Why Why did you create this product? And they have a why.
0: Personal connection, yes.
1: Absolutely. And after that, in the time that from that moment until I started the class again, the class was so full the next year around, I realized that I was kind of onto something that seems to be missing. Even from a a homeschooling standpoint, there was something missing in the way people were approaching their learning because this was so self-directed right? This is so unschooled. And that's when I made the connection that, you know what? Entrepreneurs are unschoolers. That's what they are. Yeah. Because they have to do this on their own. And they have no idea if it's going to work. No idea. That is a leap of faith every time. And I had these parents saying, wow, they were never interested in math before and they're adding, subtracting and multiplying decimals now, like even at the grade one level. Yeah, you know, counting they'd, money
0: and yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, they, they wouldn't write anything, but they did all this marketing material and sent out an email to all of their family and friends to come to the business fair. And the business <laughs> fair was packed. There were kids who sold out in 15 minutes and then they're complaining that they didn't make enough. I wow. said, well, then that's part of your valuation process for reinvesting in your business next year. So they, the, the things that they were learning, they learned everything an adult entrepreneur learns, regardless of age. They picked it up. They got it. They ran with it. They figured it out. And it doesn't have to be huge. I mean, I can do it with the teenagers where I'm bringing in business model plans and all these other ideas, but even adult entrepreneurs, like really successful ones, Sarah Blakely, the woman who invented Spanx, she oh, yeah. wrote her business plan on a napkin.
0: That's right. Yeah. Right.
1: So there's I
0: listening to your interview on how I built this. Yes.
1: Yeah. How I built this. Yeah. So it, it, you look at successful entrepreneurs today. Uh, Richard Branson, who who quit school. He's another unschooler. He just left, and his parents supported that. This whole idea that. If something's coming from that self-motivation direction and it matched up so nicely with homeschooling and translating that to a school-aged child is what I'm trying to do now to say there's these really important skills that I don't find that schools are teaching because it isn't self-directed and self-motivated, which is that, Mm -hmm. you know, the critical thinking, the problem-solving, the creativity, the resilience, perseverance, the self-confidence – Start a small business, even if you go nowhere with it after the first time you sell it, but you have to sell it for money to somebody else. You can't just create the business and then do nothing with it because that's no different than any school project. It has no value on the end. And I start every class with who would like to make some money. And you give them permission. So I'm teaching class about 71 kids right now in a homeschool program that's just outside my city. And this is the first time I've had the opportunity to teach teens face to face, and they are the ones that have the most difficult concept here with that idea of permission. The little ones get it because they don't attach any; they don't even comprehend that they're about to make money, and they're making right. hundreds of dollars. Some of these kids, so it's not small.
0: It's so not what's the change? Page. What's the change in the teenagers that they're having a harder time getting it than the? They don't know they're
1: allowed. Ones. They don't know they're allowed mm. to make money. They've had this many more it. years of um, yeah. conditioning. Right. That's, that's sort of even, and some of these kids have been homeschooled all their life and they still have that because they watch, you learn what you live. Yes. And if you are a traditional family with regular jobs, you know, at a stay-at-home parent that's homeschooling and there's a budget and a structure and all that, you know, and this is, you get a job and, you know, you get a pension and, you know, maybe they're even, you know, part of unions or other kinds of restricted structures that say you have to follow the rules when I tell them there are no rules, their brain starts to move a little bit differently. So a conversation went like this, who would like to make some money? Everybody in the room. And these are 13 to 17-year-olds. Put up their hand. I went, great, let's do that. And one puts up his hand and says, wait a second, do we get to keep the money? Yes, you get to keep the money. <laughs> and he goes, well, how much money can I make? Well, as much as your project can you make as much money as you like. Okay, no, I'm sorry, I don't understand this. Where's the upper limit? How much money am I allowed to make? there's no allowed here. You can do whatever you want. And then it, it took 10 minutes for them to quiet down. They were talking amongst themselves and writing things down. Like I can barely hold these kids back the speed with which, you know, they're moving forward with the idea and they were, talking and you know goofing around as all teenagers will and that doesn't bother me in the classroom like they can talk amongst themselves and then they start to hear how to come up with a business idea because I don't think they believed that they could do it themselves and they started to get into the groove of the class and how you come up with a business idea and now they're leaning forward in their chairs and they're shushing each other (laughs) and then you know they're like so, I could totally do this myself and I can make it. A, how much could I make? And you know, it's like, hold on, that's the next class. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> slow down a little bit. And uh, they all came with uh, brilliant ideas. So, that was only like two weeks ago. This kid came with chocolate covered bacon. Oh, interesting. I know, right? Oh, wow. And he had the, so now we're doing the pitch class and they have to do their elevator pitch. So, it's less than 60 seconds. So, they have to practice this. They have to pitch their business idea. And the entire class erupted in applause for this kid and said, you're going to revolutionize the snacking industry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's maybe they'll take it no further than the business fair that they do it in, but even just doing it once, just That's doing a, it once, the huge, learning. Yeah. I know the learning is so, it's so big. Some of these kids become serial entrepreneurs. Like I just interviewed for the podcast last week, and she starts a new business every year. Oh wow! And now she's doing a service-based business, which she figured out that if she sold her original business and handed out cards for her new business, that uh, was sort of built-in marketing. She was creating this viral mm-hmm. marketing and she created this, I don't know, their dog and cat treats, I think, and she wants to do a cat-setting business. So she's selling these cat treats to these people and then Damn handing them a card right. to say, and I, I said, well, that's really that's great. I, are you doing it just in your community? She goes, yeah, I have one of those tearaway sheets. But you know what I learned is that if you pull two of them off, it makes it false scarcity. She says, <laughs> 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 it's amazing. And they figure it out because they're so invested in the success of yes. their business that they pull in the learning on their own. Like I barely have to, I sit and wait till they ask the right question. And then I can give them the information that they need from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Well, you could do it this way or you could do it this way or here's some options and where you go from there. Like I have a kid who's asking me where he can do wholesale manufacturing. That's the first time I've ever oh. been asked that. I know how to do that, but nobody's ever asked me that question before. So I don't, I unschool this class fully. I give them kind of a framework and say, now what do you want to know? I only deliver them the content that they ask questions for. I don't bog them down with saying, well, here, let's do a business plan and you need to know what, you know, you know, market value is or you need to know what differentiation is until they say, well, what if other people show up and they're selling popcorn? Then we talk Mm -hmm. about differentiation in the marketplace. So it is until they ask the question that I offer them the answer.
0: And when they ask the question, then they're really getting it. It's not like, okay, you have to know this and this. I'll just, you know, for them, they're, I'll just memorize this word or its vocabulary meaning. It's, they're asking the question because it's pertinent. It has that value to them. Right. they truly keep it and understand it.
1: Right. Exactly. Like if you could teach, let's say, English class and they actually got to publish an article on a on a blog that was real and they could make money for it. Think about what the writing experience would be like for Mm. children who actually had a side hustle they could create and earning income by being freelance journalists, right? Yeah, Yeah. Like it just changes. So I treat the whole program that way to say that you want to start a business. They've shown up in the class because they're interested. And and here's an interesting piece of trivia. Not one of my kids wants to do this. Not one. Really? no. They're not interested at all in doing this. So they have an, I don't know if, you know, we don't give them money. You know, they figured out other ways. They, they cat said the oldest one actually works at a dry cleaners. Like they, they figure out different ways. They that do they their can. own
0: thing. They yeah. do
1: their own thing, you know, and they know yeah. that I do this and they, they get to meet all these kids that come in and get interviewed and they're still not interested.
0: <laughs> so maybe but, one day. But the other thing is they've also lived with the role models of it too. Oh they, yeah, they have the living experience of it through their lives. So that probably, even maybe, they seem like they maybe don't care or don't know right now. I'm sure they've already they already have it in their brain, and yeah, they're using it. I'm sure already. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: we they're going to end up. All of them are going to end up being entrepreneur. I know the oldest one's going to end up being an entrepreneur because he's already realizing this. Working for an hourly wage is for the birds.
0: He's not having it. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's not
1: digging it too much. He's like my gosh, that's like mind-numbingly boring. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I can do this for too much longer. (laughs) And then he hears of a buddy in school who really likes gearing bikes. And so he set up a business in a park where everybody bites by with a little sandwich board saying, you know, I'll fix whatever's wrong with your bike for five bucks.
0: I could have used his services last week. (laughs) I know. know.
1: And there's a a franchise called... uh, mobile velo or something uh, in our city and he's looking at when he graduates from high school about buying the franchise and it's a mobile bike fixing service it's that's a van great
0: idea yeah right
1: you know so that's no different than a food truck right so it's yeah. uh i keep trying to talk my kids into actually starting a food truck i think that'd
0: be a <laughs> business. nobody says well do maybe it. the chocolate covered bacon will move forward to maybe a food he'll want to do that <laughs> i will tell him
1: <laughs> he had such a brilliant idea too because he's going to serve it like. Um, you know, the roasted nuts that you would get at a store, or like fish and chips, where it's in yeah. like a, a cone of vellum and they stick oh, out like yeah. a flower arrangement. Yes. I'm like, oh my is it because of the chocolate melts in your hands?
0: Oh, that is so cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And never, well,
1: there's never overlap. That's the other interesting thing about this
0: is that kid, I you mean, the kids don't do overlap in their business ideas? Not one. I haven't yet. I've been doing this for four years and I've,
1: I've yet to see a perfect repeat of a business not once that's
0: very interesting Isn't and, it? Uh, and why do you think that's because they really draw from their own personal interests and passions and because everyone has a little bit of a difference with the you know with their own uniqueness that's why or absolutely why? I, I
1: didn't think that that's what it would be but it's kind of by, by attrition that's actually how the class is taught so I say if you want to mow somebody's lawn or um, deliver newspapers or you know, do a lemonade stand, you can, but if your passion doesn't lie in one of those things, then it isn't going to last and you won't make as much money. And part of the reason is, is that you're not as motivated to be successful because you don't, there's no skin in the game here for what it is that you want to do. So when I explain it to them that way and then say this, let me help you find a business rooted in your own passions or interests, they get it really fast. It takes a little bit, you know, to kind of get them going, but when they start making their lists of interests and then I call it the uh, the um, passion problem product cycle, Okay. which is basically you, you take your list of interests and then you find a pain point or frustration in that interest. So you pick one interest, you're interested in podcasting. And how can you make money off of your podcasting? Well, you went through a pretty steep learning curve to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. So then you could feasibly turn it into an online course teaching people how to set up their first podcast, you see? So yeah, yeah, you've gone through this cycle and it could be anything that you've done in your life. There was a learning curve or a frustration or a pain point or an issue you had to overcome in order to be really rooted in that passion. And I don't mean it's just like you're interested in oranges. I mean, the passion is you could talk to somebody about it all day. You could spend all your day doing it. So if you were unschooled, this is where you'd spend all your time. If you start explaining what an interest really looks like, kids as young as six get that right away. And of course, right. it's pretty typical. I like to read books. I like math. I like Lego. I like video games. Like they kind of, but their pain point, their frustration, whatever it was an obstacle that they had to overcome for every single one of those children, it's different. And they had a solution to their frustration and their pain point, And that is where the business idea lies somewhere in there. Right. Yeah, they get it.
0: Right. They're the ones that, if only we could had this, then I right. I wouldn't have to do this anymore. Or I could fix this. If only yeah. we could invent this or, yeah. yeah. So I, even
1: I, if it's yeah. like cupcakes, they might have a unique recipe, but they're, it was access to the cupcakes that made them want to make that, to say that I wish I could have these things all the time. And they said their, mm-hmm. their business value is just to bring a little bit of joy to someone's day. And well, there's nothing wrong with that. I like
0: cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do as well. Yeah. <laughs> So then now you've taken kids to market. So where, so can you talk about where are you? So if I'm uh, right now, say I'm a listener listening from England, from the UK or from Australia. Okay. How, uh, and I'm really interested in kids to market and I'm interested in this idea of bringing, of, you know, my le- entrepreneurship, building my child, getting their business plan going or creating their business because they have this idea that they've been talking about what can they do is there a way that um, that they can someone, access this yeah they can access it yes
1: well the whole point of starting it as a company was to make it reach a little bit further so I obviously I can't travel all over the world and teach this class so I'm currently moving the whole model to online um, and so off the website kids to market so it's the number two right kids to market.com there's a program a menu and on there they can sign up to be on the waiting list. I was hoping to have it done by tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> and I got extremely sick. So I lost my voice and I wasn't able to uh, finish the video recording. So those people that have signed up on the wait list, so it'll be there. It's coming very, very quickly. I've taken and I've blown it out. So what I've done in the, in the online course is I've taken all the questions kid, kids ask me and I create that as part of the curriculum. So I'll give you how I I teach the base unschool structure, like I explained it. So this is how you come up with a business idea. And then through the rest of that module, I answer common questions as part of the course. And they're just videos. They're short. They're under 10 minutes. You know, maybe I write some stuff down, but I don't tend to write a lot of stuff down in the class either. So I explain the idea and then you need to go away and do it, right? And give it a try. And then you come back and I answer common questions. So over the last four years, um, like it is with any usability testing, there's common questions somewhere between five to eight users all have the same questions, right? Right. But if they have other questions, they can put it in the comments and I monitor all the comments so I'll respond. And then in the spring, I'm actually going to offer a one-to-one like what I do in class, but it'll be uh, live through teleconference, And so people can actually be mentored by me. Kids can be. And then by the summertime, there's actually going to be a course of sort of like train the trainer. So if you wanted to know how to do this personally for your kids, and I think I might rope in some homeschool coaching as well, Mm -hmm. say, how can you build in this concept? But they have to want to start, like my own kids, they're not interested in starting their own business. So if you've got multiple children and they want to do this, or you would like to do what I do in your own homeschool community, I think I'm going to offer a course where I'll teach you what I know. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. so that they can come on and join great. the uh, the waiting list.
0: Exactly. When you listen, it will be up and ready. So
1: I'm going to be going through testing iterations. So depending on when you come in to take a look at it, you might find that it changes over time, or I might have a 2.0 version, or because people learn differently when they're self-directed,
0: yeah. right? That's right. They do. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I need feedback <laughs> from people to okay. say it
0: would have been a lot easier if you would have added this. And then we'll okay. just change it as it goes. Okay. I am signed up because I'm lucky enough that Stacy and I are both Canadians and we both live in the same province, although we live very, very, very far away from each other. <laughs> it's not that far. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we're, we, you're going to be uh, coming up here or we're going to be doing a workshop with you, which is we're excited about. And yeah, our, me my too. My kids and our homeschooling community up here. So yeah. Um, yeah, I I know when we do start doing that in the spring. I think is when you're coming up. I'm trying to think. Do we have a date? Exact yeah. date set yet? It's April May. April May, right? So, um, yeah, I I will share that the process too on social media and and uh and yeah, it talk should be fun as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it for sure. It's always fun. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I I just get excited. Even from your workshop, it was. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's there. You, it's very energizing. There you go. It's, you know, it's seeing the kids create on their own something from something that they really love. And to have that, that's exactly You see the confidence shining through yeah. in so many of the kids. And that's one of the beautiful things about it. They should teach really, this really in every love.
1: school, in my opinion. I agree. Maybe absolutely. I should be on a mission to... Uh... Start going to school programs and going, yeah, there this go. is missing from your course curriculum. Well, the Homeschool Blended program here in Calgary has uh, approached me to teach their teachers. So I get to actually go teach certified teachers tomorrow morning, in fact.
0: Oh, that's how awesome. to,
1: Yeah, how to do the program is I. Like, I don't want to keep coming to schools to do it. I'd rather yeah. just create the online program. Is it it's a time prohibitive.
0: Yeah, it is. To be able to yeah. do this.
1: So if more I just I think it's I'm I definitely am on a mission to say you every child should have this experience. If they're if they're searching for it, to have the opportunity to participate in a business fair. They don't even have to do my class. They should have the opportunity to take a product to market and sell it cuz the whole the whole aspect of doing this just once create such a deep learning on so many different levels and so many different subjects that th- it should be
0: available to every child. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I know from my kids own experience of running their own business when they were selling, they raised chickens and sold the, the eggs. And right on. They, they, I mean, they, what they learned and took from it and yeah, it was I mean, it, it across every subject. If you want to break it into subjects, but all of those personal um, skills, life skills yeah, that it yeah. gave them was huge. It's and they the also confidence. were able to see because they did it together. They yes. each had their strong points. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's they, and they utilize can the you know the one had was a little bit better on this other thing. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. for sure. It's a, what they exactly. cut out of it. From what I've noticed, so I
0: most. know we're getting in. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm, I was just going to say for a second uh, we're overlapping. I think in our sound here, for, but
1: that's okay. I'll stop talking.
0: Now we're back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are both talking. I think is what it is, and we're talking and getting excited and then overlapping, and but it's it's clear now again. Okay. Um, but I was going to say that I know we're getting into our time here, and I know you have. Uh, you have the rest of your day. We both have the rest of the day here too. But before we complete this episode, could I maybe ask if you could leave some words of advice? Um, maybe for listeners that love the idea of self-directed learning, but they just feel it's not possible for their family or kids just yet. What would you have any words of advice of maybe how um, they can maybe start implementing it in small ways? or supporting their kids in small ways in self-directed learning before they embrace uh, fully self-directed learning or unschooling, or maybe even if they have are looking at something like homeschooling and have not yet taken the leap?
1: Um, yeah, I think probably my key aspect of advice would be to do your research. I mean, that's what built a lot of confidence in me, was to go and search it out. There's sort of the classic you know, books that you can read. But if you get online, I think um, one of my favorite ones were they were called the Stavely Freebirds. I think they're up in Alaska. So I I Stavely
0: Freebirds?
1: The Stavely. I don't think that they're doing it anymore, but that was what I found when my kids were younger. So go out and find blogs and people who have a similar dynamic in the household, have similar experiences in public school, if you're kids, or even private school, that... Um, your children are having and start reading what people's experiences are so you start to build that internal trust and then try it for a year. There's no reason why you can't go back the following year, but you should try it. Try it for a year. That's what I find. And find a mentor. So that's it, that's an entrepreneurial advice. When you start a business, you need a coach. It's very important to have a coach that isn't going to point out all the ways you're going to fail, but finds the ways that you're going to succeed. Do the same thing in your homeschooling. Find a That's coach or a mentor good. or somebody who can help you through the process because I find that was very helpful to me and I've helped many others being the coach myself and
0: I think that that changes a lot. That's valuable information. I agree. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to see if I can still find Stavely Freebirds and include it in the show notes and I will include Kids to Market, your website. Kids two the number two market, um, and your and all of that your podcast as well that you have now is on your website so we can find that and get in contact with you all through that. Yep, website. everything's on the website. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. I love chatting with you. I'm looking forward to seeing you when you come up in the spring, and uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing more of what's happening with kids kids to market as well. It's a great opportunity for, I think, families on a whole. So I love what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com we